home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Greetings and salutations. My name is Doug, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Last time, I talked about electrical. I talked about who can do electrical work, how rules change, and how there may be room for subjective interpretation come inspection time. I also talked about why I chose to do my own electrical work after considering hiring a pro. And I talked a little about the Electrical Safety Authority, which is the body that controls the permit and inspection process in Ontario. Today, I'm going to talk specifically about my experience with the Electrical Safety Authority, from filing the initial notification to the rough-in inspection. Now, let me remind you again, I am in Ontario, Canada, so the process may be different where you live. But absolutely, you need to find out what that process is and follow it. But to demystify things, here is how the process was for me. First of all, I figured out my various circuits. Now, I talked about these in the last episode. Laundry room, rec room, and storage room. Plugs and lights on several circuits. I then went online to the ESA website and found the form to submit a new notification or permit. And then I got a little confused. On the form, there is a section for outlets and devices where it asks you to indicate the number of each. But some of these were redundant or seemed redundant. Like, there are separate entries for receptacles, GFCIs, AFCIs, and power outlets. Now, are they talking about AFCI outlets or breakers? And aren't power outlets receptacles by definition? So I called them up for some clarification. And here's the deal. Because I am a homeowner, as opposed to a licensed electrical contractor, I don't have to fill out that form at all. That form is for the licensed electrical contractor. All the homeowner has to do is call the ESA, and they will take care of the paperwork over the phone. As the lady explained to me, all I have to do as a homeowner is tell them what I plan to do, and they'll take care of the rest. Well, I may have taken this to the extreme. When I called them back to file the notification, I uh, I walked through each circuit that I was planning to do. I think that all I really had to do was just tell them the number of plugs and lights. I'm not entirely sure. But I strongly suspect that the person I talked to had a great deal of patience with me. I guess I should have asked if they wanted to know just the number of switches and outlets and lights, or did they want more detail than that? But yeah, I probably gave them much more detail than I needed to. At any rate, you should know the details of exactly what you plan to do, whether they ask or not. And I'm sure that if you're wiring the entire house, or if you're doing a 
a major addition or something like that, you would need to have a detailed plan, but probably less so for a renovation such as mine. So by the end of this conversation, they had determined that I was dealing with a total of 35 outlets and they charged me the appropriate fee. I paid by credit card over the phone and I got a notification number. The next step for me was to call them back when I was ready for the rough and inspection. So over the course of the next couple of weeks, I did the wiring, referring constantly to the electrical code simplified by PS Knight, which covers the basic rules in Canada. Or as they put it, this book covers electrical wiring in single-family houses. It simplifies the stated requirements for inspection in each province so that homeowners can safely, easily, and confidently make their own electrical installations. Now, years ago, they published a different book for each province, but the latest edition consolidates the information into one book and mentions the specific rules and amendments that apply to specific provinces. Having a detailed reference guide is imperative. Just make sure that whatever you use is based on the latest code, whether it's the National Electrical Code in the U.S. or the Canadian Electrical Code in Canada. Well, the more I dug in, the more I second-guessed myself, because the way some of the code is written is open to interpretation. Here is a prime example from P.S. Knight's Electrical Code Simplified. Utility Room or Area, Rules 26-720E and 26-654C. These rules require at least one duplex receptacle outlet in each utility room. The term utility room is not defined in the electrical code, but is likely referring to the little room for the furnace. It's not referring to the laundry room because that room or area is dealt with separately under another sub-rule. It is not referring to the porch or mudroom because those are covered under Rule 26-722 and B. See below for details on porch wiring. It could be the furnace and water heater room. But then, what on earth would we do with the receptacle outlet in that room? It would serve no obvious purpose there. We have had fun with this little requirement because so often this room is only a few inches larger than the furnace. In some cases, it seems the furnace was installed, then decorative walls were built around it, and if one was quick enough, the hot water tank could get in there too before the walls were built. Today, we do not need a room to do the shoveling and the large coal bin. It's gone too. Still, the rule stands tall and demanding. It requires a receptacle, and it must be supplied with a circuit used for no other purpose. And yes, the receptacle must be the tamper-resistant type. AFCI protection is required for receptacles. If the inspector finds you with a utility room which has not been properly wired, you could be in some serious trouble, I suppose. See also Freezer Outlet on page 97. So, going over to page 97. Freezer Outlet. The rules do not demand a separate circuit for the freezer, but it's a good idea. We are still allowed to think of this one ourselves. The possible loss of a freezer full of meat because someone tripped the circuit breaker and forgot to reset it 
makes this a good investment. Rule 26-654C requires a separate circuit for a receptacle outlet in the utility room. It may be this utility room outlet is intended for a freezer. This receptacle need not be tamper-resistant if it is located behind the freezer, Rule 26-706-2. AFCI protection is required. Are you confused yet? Well, my laundry and furnace are in the same room, which is, I suppose that could be considered a utility room. It's also a laundry room. And I also wired up a separate circuit for the freezer outlet, which is also going to be in that room as well. So I suppose that ticks all the boxes. I, I, I'm not sure. But at least I can make that argument if it were to come up at the inspection. And this is but one example. So anyway, I get the basement wired. I double check and I triple check my work. The code says to leave six inches of conductor in the box. The Electrical Code Simplified book says eight inches is better. Well, I think I averaged around seven inches because those boxes get kind of crowded when you have longer wires. I think I expected the inspector to pull out the wires out of each box and measure them to make sure that they were long enough. Aha, this one's only five and a half inches. You fail. But he didn't. He was more or less satisfied with a visual inspection. So, the rough-in stage is running all the cable, making sure that it's strapped and secured, and all the connections and splices are made inside the boxes, but no plugs or switches or fixtures are installed yet, and all the wire must be visible, that is, nothing hidden behind drywall or insulation. Once I was ready, I called the ESA, and this is how that conversation went. Good afternoon, Electrical Safety Authority. How may I help? Hello, I'm, uh, I'm ready for my rough and inspection. Okay, what's your notification number? I get my notification number. Okay, the inspector will be there on whatever day of the week. Okay, cool. Uh, can you tell me if that's going to be in the morning or the afternoon, can you say? Oh, I can give you a window of four hours. So between 8 and 12 and 12 and 4. Morning is perfect. And sure enough... The inspector showed up on the day scheduled, around 10 o'clock in the morning. And I think he was here all of 10 minutes. Now, the first thing I did before we even went downstairs, I stopped him and I said, you know, like, look, there's the old lights are still there because I needed to be able to see what I was doing down there. And I have an old plug that's still wired up so I could have power down there. Basically, the same stuff that the electrician I talked to a couple episodes ago, the same stuff that that guy had warned me that the inspector was going to nail me for, I kind of explained before we even went to the basement. So, with that disclaimer out of the way, we went downstairs and I gave him the tour, walking him through each circuit, and that took about five minutes. You know when you have to give a presentation and you practice in front of a mirror? Yeah, I, I can't count the number of times that I rehearsed this walkthrough, wandering around the basement talking to myself, but I think it paid off. The inspector commented that everything looked good, 
and he stuck an inspection sticker inside one of the switch boxes. He asked for a couple of clarifications, like confirmation that certain wires were going to be removed and that I wasn't planning to drywall over the doorbell transformer, which has to remain accessible. And he may have moved a wire or two in the junction boxes for a closer look. But that was it. All that stress. All that second guessing. And that's it? That's it. He said that I'd done a neat job and he was satisfied. Now, I think we all think that the inspector is out to get us, but that clearly wasn't the case. I think the key was that I knew exactly what I was talking about. And my work, if I do say so myself, was indeed very neat and organized. Had I appeared to be confused or if my wires were not tidy, He would have probably taken a lot more time with me. Really, it all happened so fast, I barely had a chance to pepper him with some questions. One had to do with the light illuminating the stairs that I talked about in the last episode. The other had to do with arc fault circuit interrupters. I was hoping to reuse some of the old standard breakers, like for the freezer, and just use an AFCI plug. No, can't do that. It has to be an AFCI breaker. Unless I use armored cable, which I didn't have a chance to ask why. I mentioned the debate over courtesy loops. You know, the extra wire left outside of a device box. I wanted to get his take on it, but I never did find out what he thought of them personally. What he said was that the ESA was working to standardize things across the province, so that inspections are consistent no matter where you are. And that would take some of the personality conflicts and subjectiveness out of the equation. As he said, it doesn't matter what his personal opinion is of something. So, in the case of the courtesy loop, there is nothing about it in the code. So as long as the rest of the code is followed, like the amount of wire in the box and the wire being strapped within a certain measurement of the box, then it passes. So, yeah, my work passed the roughing inspection. The next step for me, once the drywall is up, is to install all the plugs and switches and lights. I have a year from when the notice was first filed to get this done, but the inspector said that he didn't care if the drywall was done yet. He just needs to see everything working and... He needs to check the connections at the panel and make sure the panel is labeled. But of course, it is easier to hang drywall if the plugs and switches aren't in the way. So, once everything is hooked up, all I have to do is call the ESA again, give them my notification number, and say that I'm ready for my final inspection. At which point, the inspector will come back and... Maybe flip a few light switches and test a couple of plugs and take a look at the electrical panel. So I'm guessing, what, another 10 minutes? So at the end of the day, it is possible to DIY your electrical work, as long as it's legal in your area. In the province of Quebec, for example, a homeowner cannot do their own electrical work beyond changing a light bulb. But in Ontario, it is 
perfectly legal for a homeowner to do their own electrical work, provided they notify the Electrical Safety Authority and have it inspected. Now, as far as changing out plugs or switches or light fixtures, what is commonly referred to as like-for-like replacement, that doesn't require a permit, as long as you're not changing the existing wiring. If in doubt, call and ask. Err on the side of caution. I had a very good experience talking to the Electrical Safety Authority. They were very approachable and very helpful. Be very careful where you get your information from. If you choose to go old school with a book, get the latest, most up-to-date edition that you can find. And make sure that it's based on the current electrical code that applies to you. Same if you research online. Make sure that the information applies to you and that the source is reliable. Read the comments. A YouTube video might contain a lot of bad information that will get called out in the comments. Just be prepared for a lot of noise that may cause even more confusion. That's why it is important to have a good baseline understanding. And remember that the rules have changed over the years, 2018 especially in Canada, and in Ontario in particular. The safest, easiest option is to hire a licensed electrical contractor. But don't just hire someone advertising on Craigslist or Kijiji. You don't want to trust your life to a handyman or someone who is doing your wiring as a side project. Make sure whoever you hire will be accountable and make sure they are licensed. And the ESA website in Ontario has that list of licensed electrical contractors. Whether you hire someone or do it yourself, make sure that the required notifications or permits are properly filed. Hiring a pro is expensive. There is no denying that. So yeah, it took me several weeks to do my own wiring when it would have taken a pro a couple of days. And Maybe I spent a lot of time second-guessing myself and certain code requirements when a pro would have known those answers. And maybe if I had more cash, it would have been worth the additional expense of hiring someone so I didn't have to do the work myself. But I have a solid fundamental understanding of what I'm doing. And I figured that by doing it myself, I saved at least $2,500 most likely more, probably much more. And that can be put towards the cost of the flooring and other stuff. So in that respect, it was well worth it for me to do the work myself. But if I didn't know what I was doing, then hiring a licensed electrical contractor would have been well worth that $2,500 or whatever for the peace of mind. And no, at no point in this entire process did I feel like the Electrical Safety Authority or the Electrical Inspector were out to get me. And even the cost of the permit, you know, what critics will call nothing more than a cash grab, 
while the cost of the permit wasn't really that much at all within the scope of the entire project. So here's the bottom line with all of this. Don't mess with electrical if you do not know what you're doing. Hiring a licensed electrical contractor is worth the investment. But basic household circuits are fairly straightforward and you can learn this stuff and save money. You don't have to know everything that's in the electrical code. You just need to know what applies to what you're doing. And remember, neatness counts. And whether you do it yourself or hire a pro, make sure that the permits are filed. And remember, I will say this again, the inspector is not there to give you a hard time. They are there to ensure your safety. And with that, I would like to thank you very much for joining me for this episode of the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. You can check out my website at thumbandhammer.com and follow me on Twitter if I ever start posting there again. My handle there is at thumbandhammer. I will talk to you again soon. Cheers.